The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Every episode, get closer to the mic, kiddo. You gotta get closer to that mic. This close enough? That's good, but you don't have to get that close. What about this? That's fine. But continue with what you're saying. We have a guest today. Okay. And what does she do? I know it's been a while since we've done a show. This has been a crazy summer. Yeah. So, what does she do? Stuff. Okay. I don't know how to explain it. Well, she's currently, the reason why we have her on the show is she has done a book called Science of Surfing. Yeah. It's a graphic novel type style book. Mm-hmm. Thought it was really cool. And then when I read more of her background, I thought she would be a perfect guest for you as well. Because what do you want to get into when you get out of school? Animation. Speak mm-hmm. up. Animation. Animation and art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tie that in with science because you your your ambition is work for NASA or SpaceX mm-hmm. or a space agency. Now yeah, that Boeing's yeah, getting yeah, involved, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, this is all the stuff I geek out on, so I'm getting excited personally. <laughs> so you want to identify to our listeners, feel, our adventurers, who that voice was? I feel like I'm gonna say it wrong. Why can't you do it? Fine, I'll do it. Yay! That voice you just heard was. Kim Dwinnell. Welcome to the show, Kim. Kim. Thank <laughs> you so stumble. much. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, it, no, that's the that's the last name that throws everybody. So, you know, you're not the first. Um, yeah, they, they like to put another D in there and call it dwindle. And I'm like, look, I'm only 4'11". I don't need to dwindle any smaller. So I'm a dwindle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know how you feel with last name because we're M keys. I see. Yeah. And so you're always going back and spelling, right? That's oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all right. Helps us get to know each other. So since you said you, you geek out on science and animation and art, um, I'm going to go ahead and start, if it's okay with you, with yeah. my... Your question that you ask every single my, guest. My go-to question, being a father, and since this show is about us going through our journey of geekdom and sharing our geekdoms <laughs> together, um, did you have a parent or family member that encouraged your geekdom and what geekdoms was it that they encouraged you with? Oh, so absolutely not. My geekdom is a rebellion. So my father was a pilot, a colonel in the Marine Corps. My family does not read fantasy. They do not read Lord of the Rings. You know, my dad took us to see Star Wars, but that's nice. Well, that was a nice. And they just do not understand the depths of how happy I am in pop culture. 
And and so, um, of course, so, so no, going back to childhood, there was no real, like, encouragement, like, hey, you should read this, you know, tome, uh, this graphic novel, tome, no, none of that. So it was sort of, art was sort of my rebellion, but I'll tell you what, it's kind of come full circle where the Colonel will now come to WonderCon. It's, it's a strange thing to bring my dad into the, the world of geek, but he's proud of me and he looks around and I say, dad, we make fantasy. You know, we, we write, we export fantasy from California. We have film, we have comic, we have television. We have this beautiful thing that we create. And we let people buy into worlds that they may necessarily not be a part of that's kind of what we do so he can kind of see it from that way Uh, and you should be able to relate to him too it's the marines that are the basis for the alien franchise as well (laughs) not the air force (laughs) not the navy (laughs) not the army it's the marines (laughs) 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 so so in many ways then if you were to do a podcast with your dad exploring geekdoms, it would be a father daughter because you force him to be the host. And yes, I tell you what, that would be a pretty funny thing because I'll never forget. I was working in animation and my dad, there had just been the Northridge earthquake. I don't know if you remember that, but it was a very big earthquake and, and freeways collapsed kind of thing. So my dad was in the military working with FEMA doing some stabilization stuff up there. And he was staying in a hotel up in Glendale and I was working in Glendale and he's like, we should have dinner since you're, you know, when you get off work, I think I was on cat stone dance or something. When you get off work, come over, have dinner. And we have dinner. And he says, I gotta, I gotta talk to you. Cause, cause the guy in the cubicle over who works for FEMA, Kim, he's wearing a Daffy duck t-shirt. He's a grown man. What, what am I seeing here? And I thought to myself, dad, you're meeting my people. <laughs> <laughs> He says he has a ponytail and he's wearing a Daffy Duck t-shirt, which was unfathomable to the Marine that this is, this is another type of person, a geek. (laughs) So it'd be very funny to do a podcast with my father, kind of explaining all this to him. But with the two realities, it would sound actually pretty cool. (laughs) It totally would be hysterical. Because I'm, I'm quite sure he has a geekdom when it comes to like war films. Oh, History Channel, war yep. films, Ken Burns, Civil War, all that stuff. 100%. That is that's, his space. That's his, that's his pocket in the pop culture world. I, that's a great way to phrase it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's I his tried, niche in pop culture. I tried because his helicopter is actually in Pacific Rim. And I'm like, dad, dad, dad. And he just co- he couldn't go there. It was just a little more than he could bite off. Like the the, the guy, the kaiju, you know, coming out of the ocean and the he, yeah. But I'm like, but dad, your helicopter. Yeah, he lost interest. So <laughs> so his his actual helicopter that he flew. Those those giant helicopters cool. that pick up the pieces of the robots, those are 53 super stallions. And I'm like, Dad, I thought this was going to be his entry point. But but I failed. But that's okay because, you know, we so, try. We try. It's all about trying. But, but you got Heartbreak Ridge. You've got Hexall. Yeah. Hexall Ridge. You got Saving Private Ryan. All great. Band of Brothers, which I'm actually re-binging now on HBO. Or HBO Max. Love yeah. that series. Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah, that, you're right. He, he loves that stuff. So that, just don't that's put someone issue. in a cape and you know in boots. He, then he starts to go like, "Whoa, I don't understand." <laughs> so, may, so maybe he could get away with you could get away with Captain America: First Avenger because it's a period piece, but that's right on that 
that edge. Anything else yes. beyond is, is yes. Bad. Yes. I think you're right. I think you're right. Good music in that Captain America. He buys into that, you know, that post-war music. <laughs> so you have some questions. You have a bunch of questions, actually. Let's hear them. see. One, two, okay. three, four, right. five, eight. All right. Well, let's we'll start in with the ones based on the book. The science of surfing. Okay. It's one do I want to start? Okay. And get close to the mic. Was it easy for you on explaining high and low tides in the book? Um, that's actually a really good question, and it's a question with a long answer. Because to be honest, I did the science of surfing because I love the ocean and I wanted to put in the bits of surfing that relate to surfers. And high and low tides are really, really important to surfing because if you have a rock bottom beach and the tide is sucked out and you try to surf, it's all rocks and you have to know. And if you've made a long journey down to San Onofre and you get down there, you know, you drive your two hours and you get there and there's there's only rocks, you can't surf and you should have checked your tide chart. So when I go back, you know, we all know that the moon makes the tides, right? How the tides work. Moon makes them. How though? How does the moon make the tides? And when I really got into studying it, I was on NASA websites and I was on um, the, the NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Association. They've got a Sijinx website for like young people. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I knew this fundamentally, but I didn't really understand how that works. You know, when I came up with the vacuum and the water balloon and the vacuum pulls this balloon into this weird shape. And as the continent rotates through the the continents are going through the ocean that's being sucked toward the moon. And if the sun is behind the moon, it's sucking even harder. And like, I'll be honest, I didn't understand it to that level. And so it was really fun to do, do the research and find out the why behind the why. Seeing this that. and having read the book as well, this would be a great book for like middle school. Yeah. Like when they go to teach you about like the ocean and, and like and weather even, and, and around here, like fifth graders as well, minimum fifth grade, but you know, through middle school, because it, it helps explain. I mean, me as an adult, I understood a lot of it before the book, but the book actually helped make it even more sense even though it's been 30 years since I've truly studied it, uh, it, it made it seem make a little bit more sense to me Good as well. So that, I'm glad to hear that. Good. Your and answer, you too? Yeah. Your answer sort of went into my second question. <laughs> um, so when, in the book, when they do the vacuum and water balloon, yeah. how did you get that idea to explain it easier? So I'm, I'm watching these animated videos you know from from nasa and i'm watching this rotation and i'm seeing the picture of the sun and i'm seeing or the moon and i'm seeing this pole and i'm seeing the planet and i think to myself okay i always have to step back and put myself into my two main characters sam and jade sam and jade are 12 and if 12 year olds had to explain this with stuff they had around the house what would they use and so i started like actually looking around my house thinking like what like, I mean, honestly, you think, what do I have in the house that sucks? And the only thing really you have is a vacuum. <laughs> like that was obvious. That was obvious. I'm like, okay, I could use a vacuum and then what? And I thought I need, again, something squishy and pliable that's filled with water. What could that, I'm like, oh shoot, water balloons. Our kids are always having water balloons out front. So like, I've got both of these on hand. These are both things people would understand. You know, it's not some complicated science equipment. It's something you'd have right here. So I thought I'm going to just use those props to explain this, um, this kind of complicated science using things we just have in the house. 
So now that you know that her characters are 12 mm-hmm. and you're about to turn 12, does mm-hmm. this make the book even more relatable to you? Can you relate to those char- characters a bit more? Yes or no? So these, yeah. so these characters came from the first two books that I have out in the Surfside Girl series are fiction, graphic novel mysteries, right? And so they, they live in this fictitious beach town called Surfside. And um, I've kind of developed their friendship in those books. And then this is sort of a, <clears throat> a companion book to that, kind of explaining a little bit about this fictitious Southern California town they're in. So, and then little brother Pete does appear in the books as well. And I figured, I don't know, do you have a little brother? No, I'm an only okay. child. Uh, now see, having a little brother, especially like I did, who was red haired and freckled, was like kind of a little demon child. It was his point in life to harass his older sister. That was that was why he was put on the planet. So I had to nod to that. I had to put little brother Pete in um, just, you know, with jokes and just annoying the girls. And I'll give you a little incidentally. You said you liked animation. My favorite person in animation was one of the old Disney storyboard men named Bill Pete. Bill Pete's one of my heroes. He he storyboarded the entire 101 Dalmatians by himself. He storyboarded and did character design on Jungle Book, like all those old, old Disney classic 2D animated films. And his last name is spelled P-E-E-T. And that is why little brother Pete is named P-E-E-T. Ah, So a little Easter bit of geek trivia. Yes, yes. For those who like animation. Okay, uh, paper. Uh... I know this one I am very confused about, so that's why I was asking it. How can you correctly read a tide chart? How can you correctly read a tide chart? Okay, so I was hoping this would come through in the book. A tide chart is a little book, and it's got a calendar on it. So each time you flip, it's got a new month, right? And each of those little squares are a day. Most beaches have a high tide and a low tide and a high tide and a low tide every day because of rotation. So most beaches. Now, if you're going to go up to someplace like England, Ireland, um, the Antarctica, up all the way up there, they get, sometimes they only get one tide and they get very big ones. Okay. We were just in Alaska. They had 30 foot tides. So down here we get our two a day. And so you look and it says along here, it says 6 a.m., it says noon, it says 6 p.m., and then it says midnight. And the the thing goes up like this. So maybe it's going to be high and maybe it goes up to four feet at like six and then it's going to drop and it's going to go low and then it's going to go low like six hours later because 6, 12, 18, 24, that's your 24 hour day, right? So you kind of see, I'll give you a little example. My husband and I got really, really excited because last week we had a really big high tide here in Long Beach. Normally our high tide maxes out at six feet and it was going to be a seven because of the moon. So we went down to the beach to look at it because we looked at the tide chart. We saw the highest peak of that high tide was going to be at 1030 at night. Tide chart said 1030. We drove down to the beach and stuff's coming over walls. It was bizarre to watch it, you know. Um, stuff that wa- where water shouldn't be, it was coming through. And I just love seeing the force of nature like that. So we made sure we got down there in time to see it. So that's what that's doing. It's telling you, is it a four foot tide, a, a five foot tide, a six foot tide, or is it a negative tide? Is it sucking out so that you're going to get to go tide pooling? If it's a negative tide, that means that you can go walk around the rocks and see if you can see some of those tide pool creatures. Now, looking at the tide chart example you have in the book, do you recognize what that is? Do you remember? Or were you taught that yet in school? He hasn't been there. That's, that's called a sine wave. That's, that's some pretty powerful math. 
Yeah, it's called a sine wave. A sine wave is also used because I have to know sine waves a little bit for I audio. A sine wave also determines frequency. So the ties is a way of visually seeing what the frequency Jeez. is between the earth and the moon, what the resonant frequency is. Which is a really day. cool geeky way to say that. And you have and you have a tie-in with that audio, and it's all waves. It's all waves. Waves are really cool things. So sound waves is kind of hard to see. That's why when you go to a concert and you see something happen at the front of the stage, and you see that crowd reaction as it comes back, (laughs) so cool because that that's a way of seeing a a sound wave. But to see a frequency wave, it's hard to see. Drop a stone in water, the ripples. Those are frequent. That's a frequency wave in many ways. I have another really, go ahead. I'm sorry. But like I said, the tide almost represents what the daily resonant frequency between the earth and the moon is. And I would almost, I don't have the patience to do it myself, but I would really be interested in knowing like for an area, how a tidal wave or how the tide charts how the change in frequency or the change in the sine wave, how, what f- frequency that would represent. In, in music, in sound? In sound. Wow. To, to kind of recognize what, because I'm sure it's all subsonic, below our, but. Wow. But that's like the music of the planet. Yeah. That's pretty cool stuff. You know, I look at a tide chart and I kind of feel like it's a heartbeat. Yep. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of the same thing. It's sort of a heartbeat of our planet as well. And I think like all those things are really cool to look at things in a slightly different way. And and in in what I understand, like kind of a more magical way, they just seem a little more magical when you know that there's there is even if we can't hear it, there is a, a song to this, perhaps. Yep. Yeah, it kind of pops it up that geek level into like Lord of the Rings sort of epic. You know? yep. And it is epic. It's all epic, to be honest. So, go ahead. Is spring, with spring tides, is it super more dangerous to surf even if it's not overflowing a wall? Uh, no, not necessarily. If you get a swell in a spring tide, it just means that you've got more water. And I think what you have to be careful of is like, because you, you read in the book about shoaling, you know, so where, so if you've got a, a sloping beach, sloping beach, and the wave is hitting it, um, you just have to be conscious of how far up that's coming because, you know, you don't want to surf into a parking lot. I think that that's the only thing you've got to consider. It's just more water and then a swell on top of it. This, you know, if you had no spring tide and you had a swell and the, the waves were eight feet, if you felt comfortable in eight feet waves, eight foot waves, you'd be okay going out. If that was an eight foot wave, but now it's breaking in the parking lot because you've got more water. You just have more water and then the swell on top of it. That's the only time it gets dangerous. See, and I look at it as if it's my last ride of the day and it's able to take me to the parking lot, that's less walking to the car I got to do. You know, just have someone open the door and you could surf right in, you know? Wash out the interior of the car at the same there, time. There, you know? I thought, I, I thought about getting one of those Honda Elements for a while because they said you could hose them out. And I'm like, this is a fantastic idea for a car, for someone who surfs, right? Yeah. It's a big idea. all that sand. <laughs> Um, now we, we live in Florida. Oh, is that where, where you are in Where are you in Florida? Uh, we're in Kissimmee. Uh, so middle no of the kidding. state. But I lived in Kissimmee on Mulan. Really? They sent me to Orlando for Mulan and I lived in Kissimmee. They put me up in Oakwood housing. Okay. So do you, so you spent time working for the Disney company, Walt Disney company, Disney I was Animation. on Her- Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan, a little bit Emperor's New Groove. So three of those were all done 
here in Orlando. Uh, well, oh, wait, Mulan was. Lilo and Stitch was, and Mulan yep. was. I did not get to get on to Lilo and Stitch because I have a family, and they thought I might be missing my family, and they sent me home. And I really, really wanted to work on Lilo and Stitch, but I thought it sounded awful to say. <laughs> anyway, right. go on. Our neighbor across the street worked on Lilo and Stitch. Worked on Lilo and Stitch. Oh, he was, who's your name? Uh, he was cleanup artist on Lilo. Lilo. Uh, Chad Thompson. Chad Thompson. I, I'm not sure I could bring up a, a, a face, but um, I did clean up and I was on Mulan as Mulan the girl when I was in Florida. And, and he was probably on Mulan as well. He may have been. How funny. Uh, I was there for six months, so I didn't get to meet everybody. I am also friends with the actress or with the model used for Milan. Oh, no kidding. Um, I know we did some figure drawing from her. Yeah. Uh, first name is Mimi. Mimi Chen. Okay. Oh, it's that Mimi. name is familiar. Mm-hmm. I have some sketchbook drawings and we did. Um, she did a thing on how to properly. Yes. Clothe costume. How to like all the way from the long short undergarments and tank top and then how to put the robes on time we drew all that uh, yeah life. she she's the, yeah she's known as the the model of um milan what was cool. used to be the model for milan uh her parents own the kung fu temple here in town and it's, cool. their, wow. it's their temple that does the lion dance uh or had oh. done the lion dance presentation during holidays around the world here at Epcot. Last wow. Years. Oh, super cool. And super she's cool. a well, great I really, person. I enjoyed my time out there in Florida. It was, yeah, although you people really know how to do humidity. Florida's got its humidity down to oh, a science. You think it, it's this it's is the swamps. Well, we, <laughs> I used, my wife bad? and I used to live in Louisiana. Louisiana's way worse. <laughs> and, I, and I swear Louisiana, the proper translation is humidity pocket, even though they say it's not. <laughs> So, um, so be, since you lived here in Kissimmee, did you ever do any surfing on, on the coast here? Not at all. No, we worked so hard. The, the last six weeks of Mulan, we were seven days a week and we were pretty wow. much 12 hour days. So I, we did pack the car up and take several trips out to the, the coast, to the Atlantic side. But it was just like a, you know, every, every so often we'd have a Sunday off in the early days and we would go out there to the coast and just okay. hang out for a little bit. So no, I did not get to. Did y'all have a favorite beach you'd like to go to? Uh, I can't, I cannot tell you. I just okay. knew that we knew that it was the space coast and we thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> well, but somewhere, yeah, somewhere we're just like, Hey, this is called the space coast. And that just sounds cool. Yeah. That was anything between Daytona and Melbourne, including Titusville is considered the space coast. Because you can see cool. the launches from the coast. That's why it's called the Florida's known as Central Florida Beaches is known as the Space Coast. Yeah, super I rem- cool. I but, remember my fourth grade teacher took like left early to go see one of the biggest, bigger launches that year yeah. on the space line. With now, do you want to tell Miss Kim what yours and Mama's favorite beaches here? Uh, oh my gosh, uh, can I? Uh, Port Canaveral. It, no, it's the Cape Canaveral. Oh, something like It's the like Cape that. Canaveral National Seashore. Yeah. Huh. And it's uh, to the to the north of Kennedy Space Center. Okay. And you didn't get to trip out there. And you can see from um, parking one and parking two, you have clear views of the launch pads. We usually oh. we usually go to three and four, and if you go 
out. It would go down far enough to get to see past the corner. You can see some of the, the launch pad. We get great views from our backyard, though. I bet you do. I do remember we, we were able to see one. We were working in those, you know, at the um, Disney MGM lot. And we were yep. in that backspace in those portable offices before they had built their permanent yep, building. Yep, yep. And they called us out and they're like, hey, there's going to be a launch. And I mean, this was a ways away. But I, I tell you what, I've never seen a light burn that brightly. And it went, it was bright and then it went through the clouds and then the clouds started to glow yeah. and then went up and you could see the glow and then the clouds started to glow again. And it was really amazing. That's, oh, that's yeah. the, my one, my one launch. I saw it from, from Disney. You, we, even with the, the newer rockets, um, it's, it's still pretty bright, but it's not as bright as a shuttle. Shuttle's okay. still the brightest thing. The shuttle was so launch. bright. Yeah. Wow. So beautiful. Yeah. That was, even here, you can see the horizon light up. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you did this one, right? Yeah. That's what so I what else you got for me? Um, uh, so in the book, you mentioned that usually surfers will use a flagpole to like see which way the direct direction is the wind is going. If there's not a flagpole, how would y'all usually do that? So you can look at trees. We have a lot of palm trees here and they're really tall. And so, um, you know, the wind is really important again because, you know, you, you want to have your conditions clear and different beaches do different things. So if you like I, I read that quote in Surfer Magazine a really long time ago that surfers watch flagpoles. And what what I liked about that quote, so I had to put it into my book, what I liked is that it just means that. People who go outdoors a lot and are connected to the environment, they're looking all the time, you know, and and you're noticing changes in the world. And the fact that the, sh the flag usually goes this way and it's going this way now, it means something. And it means that the wind is coming from somewhere. And that happened for a weather reason. And I'm, I love that. Like, I love that all the information that that brings. So our palm trees are these Washingtonian um, robustas. They're very, very tall. They get, you probably have some too. And then they have that big puff on the top. So they're super, super skinny. And then they'll lean because they're so skinny and so tall. And then they'll blow. So those work as a flagpole too. Okay. So I guess for a follow-up question, if there's no trees around, which is, <laughs> could be kind of rare. That's when you would like lick your finger. That's right. <laughs> Could you could you could you rely on any um, shrubs or, or bushes that may be around? Because I know like here we have a lot of foliage on the dike. Yeah. From the parking lot to the beach. Um, is that something or would you watch the I think or would you I watch for the ripples of, of the sand, the direction it may be rippling? Well, by the time on the yeah, by the time you get that close, you can probably check out the conditions, what it's doing to the wave. And if you if you if it's switched and I don't know what your Florida winds do, but if we get Santa Ana winds and they're coming from our high deserts and they come down hot and dry like someone has left the oven on, you know, they're like they're really strong and they're really hot. And they, and, and so when that happens and you're at the correct facing beach. The, the, the wave is coming this way and the water is going this way and it pushes it into this perfect shape. And when you paddle and you go to take off, it's just spray and the spray makes a rainbow. And you're like, really? I mean, we just need to see a swimming unicorn now. It's so pretty, you know? And so that's what you're looking for. Like that offshore wind holding up that face and making it break really pretty. 
that's so special. When the wind is coming off the ocean, if it's coming really strong, it's taking the wave and it's blowing over the back and pushing it down. And it's just, it's called dumpy. And then you've got white caps and it's, there's nothing to surf. It's just tumbling white water. Um, and it's, it, that's no fun. And if it's a light breeze, it's okay. But if it's a strong breeze, it's pretty much unsurfable and you're miserable. So, so that's what the difference is. So put up the surfboard and break out the bodyboard. You know, yes. Yeah, yeah. Find another way to enjoy your beach that day. I I like the description of the rainbow. Because um, what I happen to catch, we're, we were on lunch at, at work. Um, I work for Disney as well. Oh, no kidding. I did um, not know that. I work at Epcot. And I'm an cool. audio engineer at, and part of entertainment at Epcot. Uh, and nice. Walt Disney World Parks. On lunch, we happened to turn on the Olympics uh, during the first week, and it was the surfing competition. Oh, so good. And when um, the U.S., the, 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 it was the women's competition, and the U.S. athlete. Carissa Moore. Yes, when she went out for her final run, the rainbow there. And she oh. said, that's when I knew I, I, I had, you know, she said, I kind of knew I had this one won. Because of the rainbow. Symbol of Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. The symbol of Hawaii. Yeah. Their, their, their college football team is the rainbows, right? The rainbow warriors. I believe so. Yeah. They say go bows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's super cool. Yeah. She is. Um, I was so delighted. I love the Olympics anyway. I'm a, a co- complete Olympic geek and we stayed pretty glued. Um, but the, um, the fact that surfing and skateboarding were in the forefront makes me really happy. And to see strong girls out there, like those 13 year old skateboarders, the Brazilian and the Japanese girl flinging themselves up those, were they 12 stairs or whatever they did. And then Chris Moore out there on the surf. I just felt really cool. Like I really liked seeing young girls being so awesome out there. What do you think about that? Your generation is making a strong (laughs) impact for the good. Absolutely. Was good. Yep. Rise of the young girl. So next. I kind of uh, feel like go go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say. Kind of feel cool. like Ray from Star Wars just sort of like led the charge and like strong young yeah, girl, and, and yeah. everyone just kind of stepped up to the plate. Anyway, go Ray, on. Didn't mean Ray, to interrupt. Ray a little bit for her, but it was Jen Urso that really launched it uh, with her. Huh? huh. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Because because okay. of this one, I've been <laughs> watching Star Wars since I was twelve hours old. <laughs> Gotta, gotta start them young. Very good. Good job, Dad. So, try. with with a long and short board, is do you just have to choose which one you're more comfortable with, or is there like one that you like? They're they're very different. So, is it like you start off with one, and if you get really good at that, you try the other? You can do it that way. When I was young, I knew nothing and decided I wanted to learn to surf. So I bought a shortboard and this was in the early eighties and I just learned on a shortboard and a shortboard rides like a skateboard, a, a, a shortboard. Like if you watch those skateboards, they do tricks like that on the wave and the shortboard is really squirrely and you could do a lot more. And, but if you were going to do this, the, the, cor- I don't want to say the correct way, but the, the more logical way. Those long boards are very, very stable, like w- like way more stable than a short board. So learning to like feel the wave, learning to like pop up and it's you've got just a lot more surface area around you. It floats. It's thicker rails. Um, when you sit on a short board, it mostly sinks. You've got a little tip sticking out of the water and then you're mostly sunk. But when you're on a long board, it's kind of like you're you know kind of out on a couch. You know, you can lay down. It's, it's completely exposed 
out of the water. So it's much easier to learn on a longboard. Where a longboard is not good is if you've got that really quick shore break, your longboard just doesn't have the rocker to get into that. And that's when those little short boards are so good when the wave's breaking fast and closer to the beach. So maybe like the type of waves we've seen here, longboard may be better if you want to try and learn. And then that's another nice thing about a longboard. Say Rocky wants to go, he can stand or lay or sit on the end of the board and not have to worry about falling. Oh, now who is Rocky? Don't I know? Get Rocky is our. My goodness. We have two dogs. Rocky is our newest, and he's a golden retriever. Oh, a water dog. Ah. We're not sure how much he loves water yet. <laughs> uh, we just found some uh, pet, uh, some dog friendly beaches that. Oh, we're, right on. We're probably going to pursue. We also have a um, hound mix. Come on. Who Walk. may Aww. or may not like as well. Walk. Come on. All right. Oh, how sweet with the neckerchief. Rocky, come here. So, so you come know what else they have, too? They've got longboards made of, they're called foamies. And they're just so, oh, they're, oh, of course, they don't want to cooperate. Come here. Look up. Look how sweet you are. Hi. Come here, Faith. Are you ready to get down? Yes, he is. <laughs> it's like it's completely him. beneath his dignity. There yes. you go, buddy. Come on. Faith. Come on. Oh, he's not leaving. And then you, may, you may see the hound mix in the back. Oh, yes. Beagle colors. Beagle colors, but beagle colors. Oh, you look it there. But she has she has like eighteen inch long legs, <laughs> so almost like a, a train walker hound. Cool. Ah, uh, so. very cool. So yeah, in Huntington they actually have a dog surfing competition every oh, wow. year. Yeah, and they put they put these little life jackets on them that kind of have a handle on top, so you can kind of pluck them out of the water if they're smaller. Yeah, I was watching on Netflix. There's this series called Pet Stars, and, and one of the episodes was they were trying to find a dog that would like win a surfing competition, and <laughs> it, they would like put these little life jackets on, and they would like push them into the water, but the dogs would paddle themselves. And then they that would, is so cute. And they would like go on their hind legs, and they will be like they'll like just like look around. And then if they fall over, the owner goes into the water and picks them up and puts them back on the board. <laughs> Do you have any other questions? Uh, Double check your front. I'm done with my front. I know I did my front. All right. This question kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. How did you know art was one of the things you wanted to do? You know, I, I don't know if you draw, but I, I always drew, you know, and I think little children always draw. And then some people kind of fall off the drawing bandwagon and some people kind of keep after it. And I, I kept after it. But um, uh, to be honest, the colonel didn't really think art was the way to go. The colonel didn't quite understand that entertainment, you know, is a well-paying job for people who are artistic. And I just had to teach them some things. So I, um, you know, I, I went through high school. I was not allowed to take art in high school. So I had to take language and science for my electives. And so when you get like that, my big rebellion in community college was to start taking a lot of drawing classes like neener neener. I'm an adult now. I can take 
art, man. That was my big rebellion, like not tattoos and not smoking, none of, the, you know, none of that stuff. But my big rebellion was art. And what I discovered was a thing called figure drawing, where the models come out. You know, sometimes they're costumed and sometimes they're not. But I fell in love with, because I've always been very athletic, and I fell in love with, like, understanding the muscles and the movement and rotation and, and weight distribution. And, and that led to animation because animation is just drawing people. Well, mostly for me, people over and over and over. And you kind of have to know, you know, the, how the hand connects to the arm connects to the shoulder. Right. So it all came back to those figure drawing classes. And once, once I got into figure drawing, I was completely hooked. That's, that's where it started. Yeah. I want to get, get back to the uh, science of surfing real quick. It comes out when, well, that's a good question. Um, it was supposed to, I was supposed to have a book signing today. Um, this was supposed to be book launch, but apparently Chicago's got a whole bunch of containers that are stuck. And the Wall Street Journal had an article on how the port of Ch- or the, the train yard of Chicago shut down for six days because they're so inundated with stuff. My books are stuck on a container outside of Chicago. So theoretically now the, they will be available August 17th. Um, in these COVID days with supply chain issues being what they are. Like I live in a port city. I see the port, the containers out in our port stacked eight high. I know that we're not keeping up yet. So if this was my first book, I probably would be a sobbing puddle on the ground, like crying that my life is over. But in all honesty, I figured, you know what, what's another few weeks it's COVID. We all just have to be patient. And so I'm being patient and trying to be understanding. And every shop owner that's had a, a signing lined up for me has been, oh, we totally understand this happened to so-and-so or we're having trouble getting this. I don't know if yeah. you have supply chain issues, but for whatever reason, I can't find my dog food anymore. It's just sort of disappeared during COVID. So, so like stuff like that happens. And I think right now we all just have to be patient and take a deep breath. Yeah, we we have friends who work uh, in the toy industry and they've okay. talked about the same thing. You know, stuff's coming in from overseas and they're all sitting on boats that are anchored off port because the ports are full. And we've got it's we all short staffed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We were paddling in the bay today that I was up on a stand up paddle and we had visitors from out of town. We took them out paddle boarding and they look and they say there's 50 container ships out there. Not only do we have container ships sitting off Long Beach, but we have cruise ships because they can't go anywhere. They just live on them. We've got five of them in our harbor. We probably have 50 container ships fully laden and they can't go anywhere. And they've been there for months. So it's heart it's heartbreaking but it's not really because no one no one's died you know because the, the toys are a little later the books are a little late and so i'm just taking a deep breath and saying you know we'll get books eventually and like i said the publisher now says that the release date should be august 17th so it awesome. should be the next month we have books i'm really excited awesome and i believe we could order the two surfside girls books off amazon yeah they're available on penguin random house's website on top shelf's website on amazon you can find them in your barnes and noble um and then the science of surfing the sad thing about the science of surfing that i did not quite realize when i wrote it is not going to be shelved next to my other books because this is a nonfiction book so this book will be in the nonfiction section so they look on my shelf they look really pretty with their spines all matching you know looking yeah. all pretty but they won't be shelved together because the two are fiction and the other one is nonfiction. well it has Good fictional characters right right but you know those librarian types types they have categories well i i see us looking to get you the surfside girl books for sure and why and and we will definitely 
be buying Science of Surfing as well, even though we had a preview copy to read beforehand. Yeah, but that yeah. one's on the computer, and you won't let me print uh, it. No, that's not so much fun, huh? But, I have... Oh, I was going to say, I have it somewhere around here. Uh, hang on, I can show you. Hang on a second, I'll show you. I know we're, I know we're audio, but um, it's, it's a book. It's actually a book. It looks like I have one copy. It's probably the only copy in existence on the West Coast, <laughs> but it's looking really, really pretty, and I really, really like it. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm very proud of it and happy that it's out. We're, we're going to have to, I know we're, we will be getting it. Because all it, three. We'll be getting if all three. If you order off the website for no extra charge, I will sign it to you and draw a little drawing in it. So um, I'll surf, surfsidegirls.com. If you go there, there's a little store okay. there that you can buy them off that. And I'll sign it to you. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Can we ask mama? I don't know about today. <laughs> maybe, maybe later when she wakes up. She's not feeling good at the moment. No, she just uh. said she's tired because she had to wake up at 3 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have family in town as well, and their flight took off at six thirty this morning. It was oh, the only, only flight, only flight they that was available for them to go home. And the airport it was an hour away, so we had to leave at three in the right, morning. Right, and they're also having their supply chain issue things. Right, yep. they're canceling flights all over the place because I don't know. There's no, I don't know what happened, but. I, you know, I just make the books, but apparently there's no people to do the things that normally people do. So <laughs> with, with all with all the work that you've done um, in animation or even with your books and different stories, do you have a favorite character in all of it? Yeah. Ah, uh, OK, so I'll tell you, like, Sam is really me. So Sam and Jade, my characters, Jade, my best is my best friend, Melissa. So she's Hawaiian Japanese. And so I kind of am attached to Sam only because she's really sort of me, sort of not, but sort of. And if I had to tell you about a character I didn't create, I do really do. I do really like Mulan. Mulan was super fun to draw. I drew Meg on Hercules and Meg is very pretty and really sarcastic. And I liked her for that, but she didn't move a lot. She didn't do a lot of like actiony things. Yeah, she, Mulan, on the other hand, yeah, yeah that's she, what Meg did. She sighed. <sighs> and look, and if you were lucky, she would like put her hand up like that. Yes, she, but she wasn't. So if you're going to draw a character, I think because I'm really athletic, I like draw, drawing characters that move. And a lot of the girls I've worked on, they don't move as much maybe as the action boys, right? But Mulan was kind of an action character. And I drew her both as Ping you know, where she was sort of the boy mm. version of her in all the armor. And I also drew her as the girl version and she was still pretty athletic as the girl version. So she was my favorite character by far. Awesome. Now's your chance to pitch being a third person in the Surfside Girls. So, so are you aspiring to be a scientist, an artist, or an audio engineer? You seem to have a lot of uh, at your fingertips here. What, what are you liking? I want, right now at the moment, I want to be a art, like a designer for NASA, pretty much. Ooh, I kinda, art and science. Yeah, I want to do, favorite. I want to do the artistic side of NASA. Right on. So whether, right on. If, whether if that's like designing a illustration for a class or a or whatever or like nice or like miss kim mentioned earlier how she watched a animation about the tides and the, how the moon relates to it there's an animator who was involved in that somewhere yeah i i 
can give you a little inside information on that too, because the guy who did the blurb for the back of my book is Dr. Chris Lowe from the Cal State Long Beach Shark Lab. And he's a well-renowned marine biology scientist, right? So the way I met him, I do teach at Cal State Long Beach, but the way I met him was I had done an article on sharks and needed to talk to someone for Full Blade Magazine. I did this comic article. And in talking to him, he said, oh my gosh, you teach animation here? And I said, I do. And he said, I'm, I'm looking for people because in his world, he gets data, he sends his shark robots out and they collect all this data, but data isn't something visually interesting to people. So if he wants to get people excited and tell them like all these discoveries, he has to do it in a way that's engaging and what's engaging animation. So my students will do a, a computer graphic, you know, a, a computer animation of a shark and it will show the shark behavior based on the data he's received. Or I've had students do comic books for him for public outreach he has things he's learned. He wants to teach the public and we've done some comic books. So there is, you know, there's STEM and there's STEAM. There's the A in, in STEAM, right? And that art is important as a bridge explaining to people these concepts, these data, these numbers, all these things that come up. You have to be able to relate them to the rest of us, like me, who don't understand numbers. So I think you're on a good path. We, yeah. we have had some previous guests who work for NASA currently. Yeah, we actually. Cool. And um, when they asked her what she wanted to do, she she's been fascinated with the space program since I was little. Since since real little, um, but she was afraid. Now with the idea of wanting to go into art and animation and really having that kind of love, that space program was out for her. Uh, and they came back and told her, "No, we yeah. need artists too." Because, you know, like you said, you know, the scientists need a way to storyboard or show how things are done. Absolutely. And, and they have to go. There has to be an art department or an animation department to, to lay out a storyboard or come up with. How do we explain this to kids or people who want to be more in? Yes. In, engrossed in this but don't understand the tech talk because because let's get let, let's get real you get a bunch of scientists in a room i'm not going to understand the first thing they're talking about because they're talking at this high level of stuff only they understand and and they want us to know they want us to know what they're talking about and there there is a there's a pathway to that and it is through art yeah because they'll because they can be talking about everything on the periodic table and we're like <laughs> i know the faces of the moon. <laughs> it's not that we don't want to know. We're very willing to, to learn this stuff, but it has to be kind of filtered into a package that we understand. And I do believe, I do believe, like you said, storyboarding. When we watched all that, um, we watched Mars and those were computer simulations of what they were seeing. You know, they were, they were showing some photography, but they were also showing like, this is what's going to look like to fly over Jupiter. And here's some, here's animation of Jupiter based on the data they're getting. And the data is all numbers and it's all sent transmission through space, you know, and, and that's not pretty to look at, but that animation sure is. So far out of all the space movies I have seen, there's only one I don't like because he watches it. All the time. Like, every time it's on. Oh, let's watch it. Um, what is it? Bye, I'll see, you in the, I'll see you when it's done. He's watched The Martian so many times, I don't like it. One of like my favorite it. movies. One of my favorite movies. I love The Martian. That's yes. the only reason I don't like it. Uh, it's because no, I've seen, like, the same part so many times. It's annoying. It's one of those space films where... 
this can actually be a reality. Yes. Unlike, I mean, I love space cowboys, but we know realistically <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. Uh, Armageddon know. was enjoyable, but not likely Fantastic. to happen. Yep. Honestly, space. But the Martian. Yes. I mean, it's happened. That, that's almost a science fact film than it is it a science is, fiction. Yes. Someone in real time figuring out how to not die using his wits and his knowledge of science and farming. <laughs> Become, becoming becoming the first space pirate as well. <laughs> have a feeling the closest we're going to get to a space cowboy is this astronaut putting a cowboy hat on on their um, suit and like, I'm a cowboy in space. I come from Texas. <laughs> space cowboys, you have to watch it. The, the premise is really good, but that one is a little bit more science fiction than realistic. based around science facts. And to be real, though, <clears throat> they say our, our, um, our science fiction writers are our prophets, right? Like they, yeah. they kind of write stuff that's fantasy. And then the people go, oh, that might actually be able to be done. And because the creative invented it, the, the engineers strive for it. I think there's that relationship with Imagineers and engineers. The Imagineers yeah. make this amazing picture. And then the engineers go, but we can't do it. And the Imagineers go, but you have to. It's beautiful. Make it happen. And somehow... Science rises to the occasion. It's like Star Wars and Star Trek. A lot of the propulsion systems used for satellites and whatnot are twin ion engines. <laughs> What's a TIE fighter? Do you know what TIE stands for? TIE. TIE stands for twin ion engine. I did not know that. Yep. Did not know that. And you know, So whether Lucas got the idea for TIE from... NASA or the space program or the space program got the idea mm. from Lucas. It's one thing. Right? Cell phones. The original. I mean, you see my cell phone, my old Star Wars cell phone. Right I there. know that it's you flip shared phone. with Chewbacca. But you see it's a flip phone. You know where that concept for the flip came from? Or cell phone? NASA? No, Star Trek with the original communicators. Oh. It was a flip open communicator. You know, my husband and I got really into the next generation when we were dating. We, we watched a lot of Star Trek, the next generation. And we, we have it like the DVD set. Right. And I don't know. It was about a year ago. I'm like, let's pop these back on, you know. And so we did. And I'm screaming because there they are walking down the halls with iPads. They're white. They're thin. Yeah. They're using their finger. I'm like, they have iPads. And this was like 1992, <laughs> way before iPads. Way before cell phone or smartphones were even created. Right. Thought of. So the idea. So who knows if Steve Jobs with Apple Truly. before he passed away, if he got the idea for the iPad or the tablet from watching Star Trek. So, yeah, definitely science needs art. Science needs thinkers. Science needs communicators. The the. the the advancement in prosthetics to look more human-esque instead of a hook <laughs> came from Star Wars because of Lucas when Luke chopped, you know, had his hand chopped off and he had the new prosthetic. Right or left hand? It's right hand. Correct. <laughs> you phrased a good geek. Um, but a lot of that, I mean, we're still not at that level with prosthetics, but the whole concept of getting to that point has come from Star Wars. Speaking of Star Wars. Okay. Is it AT-AT or AT-AT? I say AT-AT. Okay, you're correct. Because there's people that are like young, 
that are they're younger than him but older than me in like their 20s and 30s and they'll say ATAT and this is me it's the, in my head this is at at get it right or don't say it it's at at coming at coming from being a military brat the military loves their acronyms and you do not say SCUBA you say SCUBA right yep. so i would i would argue from a militaristic standpoint you know you've got SECNAV is Secretary of the Navy. They like these little words that put together, but they do not say SEC and AV, right? So you come back with it and say military says it's at at. <laughs> but the walker, the two-legged walkers are ATSTs. It's kind of hard to say. At- yeah, kind of hard to say that one. Yeah. I was I was involved with the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators for a while, which is quite a mouthful. And uh, they tried to say squ- skibwe. But some things don't acronym. You just yeah. can't. So, you know, you have to rely back on the, the long, and, the and long that, version. And that's what makes the meeting between Colson and Tony Stark that first time <laughs> so much fun. Uh, I'm from the strategic. Yeah, maybe y'all should shorten that or something. Yeah. Classic yeah, we, military man. We, we've thought about that. And of course, it's shield. So, you have any other questions? No. Yeah. What well, what made you decide to get into uh, art and animation? Art and animation, to be honest, like I've always loved the stories. I always loved that old school, uh, the the hundred one Dalmatians, all, like all of those old school films. I drew, grew up with them as a kid. But I was in college studying art in my big rebellion years, and The Little Mermaid came out, and that's what I thought. Like this is the best. I kept that soundtrack playing all the time on my car, in my car, my little cassette. I thought this is an amazing thing. Like it appeals to me on so many levels, and so that was that was set as the bar I wanted to get into animation. And so when I did, you know, I worked for. Uh, Turner on Cats Don't Dance. I worked on The Swan Princess. That was sort of my entry films. And I went to Disney. I worked on some stuff after that for little companies. And, and then I found the film called Blank or the book called Blankets that Top Shelf puts out. And and I, I had never known what a graphic novel was. Like manga had not hit. Comic books were there, but I didn't really read comic books. I read this big book called Blankets. And I thought, this is a film in a book. And I love films and I love books. So I'm going to take those skills I learned in animation. I understand storyboarding and sequential narrative, and I'm going to make my own books that are little films in a book. Okay. So that's what I did. Um, she's gone to go get her sketchbook because I think she wants to show you after show. Um, right. What being a father myself and having now a soon to be 12 year old. Yes. What would you say to those to the kids of today who want to get into animation or into art in general? Well, I think the best thing, the best thing that you can do if you're young and you want to get into art and animation is just draw. For young people, any way that you can find your way in, it just just drawing, 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 being familiar with how the pencil is on the paper, um, you know, finding your own joy in it. That's important because at the end of the day, you have to really passionately love this and find find that passionate love about this. As far as getting better, um, what I tell, because I teach too, I tell students, anything you can draw from life is going to help you, whether it's, you know, the, the, the breakfast 
table, you know, like the dishes on the breakfast table, or it's your dog, or go to the zoo and draw the animals, or go to the zoo and draw the people looking at the animals. Drawing from life is is really important because you start to understand the nuances of acting and behavior. You know, like, like what does a frustrated mom with a toddler on her hip look like when she's trying to pick up her groceries? Those sorts of things, because that's character. That's story. That's character. So keeping your eyes open and just doing a lot of drawing and keeping your eyes open about looking at life and looking at the stories life tells and then drawing that life. That, that's that would be my advice. So also sounds like, too, you would also recommend maybe keeping a, a small or mini sketchbook with you no matter in your bag, no matter where you go. That, that way. Yes. If you see something, even if it's just a, a wireframe or stick figure framework it, it, of what it is, it gives yeah. you something to, to start off with. Absolutely. And I'll draw random things in my sketchbook. Maybe I'm in Starbucks and a girl comes in in a really cute outfit. And I'm like, ooh, I would never have thought of putting that together. And all of a sudden, what's interesting to me, or maybe she's got her hair up in, in cute buns. Or, or maybe it's an old man and his dog and that the relationship's just really sweet. You never know what's going to strike you when. So you're right. Keeping a, a small sketchbook with you at all times is very helpful. So maybe we need to see about getting you a small sketchbook for when we go to the parks. Yeah. Yes. And all of a sudden you yes. see, all of a sudden you see something in like say France that you haven't noticed before that really caught your attention. You can sit there and draw it out. And, and I'll tell you what, when you start out doing this from life, life moves really fast and you don't feel like you're good enough for a really long time. Your drawings don't look fantastic and it does not matter because you should have a sketchbook that you don't show anybody. You should have a sketchbook where you're learning to capture life because you think, oh, that man and his dog have been sitting there for 10 minutes. I'm going to pull out my sketchbook and draw him. And I tell you what, people have a sixth sense. The minute you think you're going to draw him, he decides, oh, I'm going to go meet my daughter for coffee. And away he goes. And you had a good 30 seconds to draw him. And you're like, you evil fiend, you ruined my drawing. Doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is that you're trying and eventually your drawing will catch up with it. Eventually your eye will get photographic and you'll understand how to keep that picture in your head. Doesn't come instantly though. So please know I have so many really bad sketchbooks from when I was learning. And see, I, I'm that same way with audio. Like you saw the one of the shows that I work on. There was what, 10 people on stage. How many voices, how many separate voices did you hear when they sang all together? You heard three voices. Wow. Right. Which is good because a lot of people say, oh no, I'm just hearing one voice. I'm just hearing the whole, whole group. I can't pick out voices. And for a while, I was that way as well. I, I could pick out a couple voices, but I couldn't get everyone. Now, I listen to them, even when I'm mixing. I hear the entire group as a whole, but I can also hear every separate voice. No kidding. I, I, I have hit that that's awakening. That's experience. Yeah. That's experience, but it's, it's yeah. also that photo photogenic. Yes. So it's, it's that awakening process of I'm able to hear the blend, but I can also pick each individual voice out as well. Wow, that's really cool. And, and it's such a such a wild trip. And so when you describe keeping the yes and no. No, like it's not the character that I was trying to okay, draw. The character, the character name is Invisible Girl. Oh, okay. So you're thinking Incredibles. No. Okay, maybe not. Anyway, um, you have any final questions for Miss Kim? No. 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 It's been great talking to you guys. Oh, it was especially since pleasure. you're in Florida. <laughs> it, it's too. It's like you're talking to the future. <laughs> That's true. 
We're talking three hours into the future. <laughs> Nothing happens. Just a podcast. <laughs> so, how we usually end our shows uh, with a guest. Uh, uh, one, the important, one of the most important questions, where can we find you online? What he said. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, you can find me online. You can. My Instagram is Kimberly.Dwinnell. And um, I'm on Facebook the same way, Kimberly Dwinnell. And um, you can find me at kimdwinnell.com and also surfsidegirls.com. Awesome. Uh, Science of Surfing comes out hopefully August 17th. So so technically, technically, what we, everything we talked about was a... Spoiler alert. I guess, I guess it could be. Because if it's not out yet, technically all not of that, out yet. all of that yes. was technically a spoiler alert. It's insider information, huh? But pre-order now and guarantee your copy, so when it does come out, you know you have it. That's correct. Yes. So, and there's yes. many places where it's you can really, pre-order. really cute. It's really nice. I'm very, very proud of it. So, yes, lots of good stuff in here. Very much so. And I think after we get our copy in, we need to show it. We'll review it. You, you can review it, but you also show it to your your science teachers. Hey, yeah. And and especially when you get to earth science. And, and it can be a since, great supplement. Since I'm going into middle school, I get to pick my electives. So I don't like have to do music because I don't want to do music. <laughs> so hopefully I get art and STEM. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, push for art. So. That'd be good for you. Like, I at least want art because of this. And then STEM good. is there. Yeah. And then craft your own path. So thank you again for joining us. It was a, yeah. it was a lot of fun. It, I think it definitely made the gears grind harder in, in this one's head. Well, not Very my nice. head. <laughs> in her head and, and really helps um, feed the flames even more. Right on. Um, you guys have a really cool thing going here, you know, doing this thing together. I think that's well, that's a really, really nice bonding thing for a father daughter to do. Well, thank you. Yeah. And a good experience. At this point in time, kiddo, I'm going to say take us home. Thank you for listening to Adventures in Geek. Bye for now.